Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This episode is also brought to you by Oak Barn Beef, a direct-to-consumer, family-owned farm that delivers high-quality, DNA-tested, dry-aged Nebraska beef from their family to yours. You can select from a wide variety of boxes. My personal favorite is the Husker Beef Package, which combines jerky, ground beef, steaks, and a brisket. These packages are perfect for families, get-togethers, out-of-town hunts, or for you outfitters looking to upgrade your table fare for your clients. Order yours today at oakbarnbeef.com. Welcome to the Foul Front Podcast, a part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. I'm your host, Ben Page, and this is your source for hunting, outdoors, and conservation conversations. In an eclectic and sometimes unorganized fashion, I appreciate you coming by. Hey there, Foul Front. Excited to have on those two new sponsors in SRB Field Rests and Oak Barn Beef, two great companies with great people behind them. And uh, they'll be doing some giveaway action coming up here, but more on that next week. Dudes, ladies, ducks down. It is teal season here in Kansas, and I've got two hunts in the book. Uh, Speaking of which, if you want a super cool way to keep a log of all of your hunts, head on over to FreelanceHuntStats.com. You log all your hunts from where you were, what the weather was like, the birds harvested, birds lost, gunning information, and notes about the hunt. And you can go back and you can review all of your statistics, throw some filters on there if you want to see certain data points. Really cool. Anyways, myself, Jordan from the Duck Gun Chronicles, Aiden, a.k.a. Golden Boy, uh, who has his own YouTube now in Cherry Creek Outdoors. We all joined Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting out on the teal opening uh, weekend where we brought our babies and our wives. They didn't go out in the marsh, but uh, we all stayed in a cabin. It was super cool. Um, had a couple beers, ate a lot of good food, and just had some really great fellowship, which is what it's all about. We even did a podcast episode out there uh, with the girls, and it was a lot of fun. There weren't nearly as many teal uh, as there were last year, but some groups did really well. Uh, other groups of hunters, I should say. Um, our plan B spot, a group out of there shot uh, like a four or five man limit, and uh, we we shot really well uh, where we were. And we had some groups come in on us, uh, but it was mostly onesies and twosies. We spent a lot of time scouting and trying to find concentrated birds and Uh, The first telltale sign of a slow morning was when shooting time arrived and there just wasn't any teal in our spread, which is not common for this area um, or any of our hunting experience. The first morning, right around shooting light, we had to deal with uh, a bit of a thunderstorm and some rain. And I didn't notice any uh, increased activity prior to the storm, but as the rain was in like full torque, a group of 30 to 45 teal gave us about three passes and... uh, they, they did not put down. They just kept flying. Uh, we watched them off in the distance as far as we could through the rain. And, uh, yeah, it was raining pretty good. Uh, after it shut off, though, there was a bit of activity, and then it just kind of shut down. 
The second day, uh, we had some clear skies, no wind. The birds hit our little pocket that we were hunting. Uh, we hunted a different spot uh, pretty early, but they shut down around 8 a.m. So my stats uh, from the freelancehuntstats.com uh, for this season so far, I've got six blue wing teal down. I lost one bird. Uh, I'm sitting at a 63% shooting average. I had a lot of fun, and I got a leaky set of waders. So that's good. All right, into the meat of this week's episode. A couple weeks back, I attended a Kansas Parks and Wildlife and Tourism public information meeting regarding the season dates and hunter input from waterfowl hunters. This was all at the uh, K-State Alumni Center, and I was fortunate enough to get to talk to several people before, during, and after the meeting. I started the night off by talking with Garrett Trentham from uh, Delta Waterfowl and his truck outside Buffalo Wild Wings. So before dinner, um, with some local Delta supporting guys, um, we just kind of had a conversation. So we're going to jump into that conversation to kind of set a frame for the information that you're going to hear later from some of the other uh, guests. Now, if you're thinking that you don't live in Kansas and this doesn't matter, that's not true. That's not true at all. A lot of the same rules and regulations that dictate how we frame our season hold very true to your seasons as well. Uh, in one way or more ways. And hopefully your state, if they're not doing these types of meetings already, maybe you can figure out if if they are um, and when the next one is, or if they're not, you can voice your opinion on that. All right, so here's Garrett. I've got Garrett Trantham of Delta Waterfowl. I'm in his truck right now. We're about to go get some wings. And this is your, you've been to three of these so far, right, Garrett? I've been to two. This will be the third. Yep. Yep. So... Uh, we were just talking about Garrett. You are what's your title? I'm regional director for Delta Waterfowl, so I cover all of Missouri and Kansas, um, and kind of cover all things Delta Waterfowl within my region. And we met at uh, what was it the the Goose Games? The Goose Games in, in Wichita. Wichita last yeah. year. Yep. yep, that was a good time. It was. That was yeah. a lot of fun. It really yeah. was. Yeah. So I wasn't out there hunting, but we were just sitting, hanging out in the parking lot, drinking some coffee, and sticking uh, thermometers into geese. <laughs> That's right. Yep. Yep. So, yeah. 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 I we had post somebody post this and I got an email that public hearing uh, was going to happen. Now, is this something that is regulated? So it is. Yeah. So every five years, states are allowed to rework their seasons and zones. And these seasons and zones fall within a regulation that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, the federal government allows. So for instance, here in the Central Flyway, we can have 74 days of waterfowl hunting um, within the dates of Uh, September 1st and now the last day of January. It used to be the last Sunday in January, but that was a recent change. Um, And so what the states do is they generally set these on a five-year cycle just so it's not confusing and it's not changing every year. Um, And so part of that process is to gather public input from waterfowl hunters. Waterfowl hunter preference is heavily weighted in these decisions because as long as the states stay within these federal frameworks, we're not going to negatively impact these species through hunting. So basically whatever the state decides to do within those federal frameworks is going to have zero impact on waterfowl populations. Um, So at that point, it boils down to hunter preference. Do you want the season early? Do you want it late? Do you want it split? Do you want different zones so you can have dates different for different habitat types within the states? Um, And so that's kind of what they're they're presenting all that info tonight and then gathering hunter input on it. now this will be this is your third one that you've attended, you know, this year. What what have you kind of seen is like the normal trend? So overall, you've always got a couple guys that kind of have the wild ideas about how they want things and it's like I've always said, waterfowl hunters especially were bad about seeing what we personally see and thinking that that's the case for all waterfowl mm-hmm. hunters. And that's just not the case. There's a ton of variation between what Uh, the different styles and the different habitats that waterfowl hunters use on a given year and where you may be a primarily a late season field duck hunter i may be an early season marsh duck hunter and we may be hunting within the same zone and have a big disagreement on when we want the season to be open right Right. and so at these meetings they gather public input and they try to find a common ground and what the general consensus is for duck hunters in each region so that that's kind of what these uh, meetings are geared at. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that the the feds basically or the federal regulations say that okay, hey Kansas, you can have your season from this date to this date, and let's just call it an, that's an even hundred days or something like that. Uh, but you only get fifty of those days, so you got to choose when you want to have it happen, and then you can split it up with splits. And uh, people always get so mad, I think, at splits, but really 
what it is is it's the policymakers trying to appease both parties, the people that exactly. want the early and the people that want the late. And they say, well, we can't run 50 days consecutive. And I'm just using these numbers. Uh, it's 74 sure, is what yeah. it's going to be for here in Kansas because we're in the central flyway. And so, like you're saying, that 74 days, you may not be able to stretch it to make my early season marsh hunting preference and your late season field hunting preference both get covered. Right. And so what they do is they offer you a split, which is basically a a portion of dates in the middle of the opening and closing where the season is closed. And so you get to expand, basically break that season in half and expand it out to where I get my early season, you get your late season. Um, and it can be a huge benefit towards appeasing those different groups of waterfowl hunters. Yeah. So basically, you know, the federal relations basically give each state a budget. Exactly. Uh, how many days they want and it's up to them how they want to spend it. Have you had any appealing arguments that you've heard? Yeah, so I think there's a lot of push. Um, I say a lot of push. I've heard a lot of guys at these meetings ask for later seasons. Um, and so we did this same process in Missouri a couple years ago. It was the same five-year process. They had these public workshops. And we heard a lot of the same things from duck hunters. And I think it comes from two different directions. One is that um, we're getting warmer and warmer winters each year. And the ducks are tending to show up, especially your big pushes of mallard, which are very important to a lot of duck hunters. Those are showing up later and later in the year, right? So that's hard to argue with. The other side of it is that since those mallards are showing up in the maybe in the second half of what's currently our waterfowl seasons, those two weeks after the season, we see a ton of mallards. Right. And I think a lot of that has less to do with those mallards being new to the area and has more to do with them not being hunted for two weeks. Yeah. And so when you quit hunting a marsh or you quit hunting a river bottom for the, the fields in a river bottom and those ducks become comfortable, they start becoming more active during the day. They start using areas that they were previously avoiding due to hunting pressure. And so there's this anecdotal view that, hey, there's more ducks here. These ducks weren't here before, uh, but they were. They just weren't making themselves present to duck hunters because they were getting shot at every time they they would. Yeah, so they're not stupid. Right. They're so, not geniuses, but they're not stupid. Exactly. You start shooting ducks in the same area every day, they're going to either find other places to use or they're going to start using it at times hunters aren't hunting at night or whenever that may be. So um, they're extremely adaptable. And so that's something that I think a lot of hunters should consider when they're pushing for those later seasons is that you may run into the same issue where you move it back two weeks and then the two weeks after that are when you see most of your mallards again. Right. So um that being said, again, it, it should boil down to what the hunters want. If the hunters are under consensus that they want a later season, I think that should definitely be considered. And it's also important to note that the wildlife biologists that are running these meetings, they make an advisement to the Kansas Department of Wildlife, Parks, and Tourism Commission, but the commission gets to decide how to set these seasons. They don't have to follow the recommendation of the Just biologists. Just like the electoral, electoral vote system where we tell them we want them to vote right, for this. Right, right. Okay. And generally they do. They, they do the, the biologist's input, which is a reflection of what the local hunters want and what they believe is best for the state and the resource, is generally what the commission goes with. But they're not required to. And there have been instances in the past, I don't know about recently, but I know there have been instances in the past where they go against uh, what the biologists recommend. And that all comes down to working through the government, going to these commission meetings, making sure that the commissioners know that duck hunters want to have the seasons that the biologists are recommending, that we want to leverage those educated individuals that are making these decisions for our resources that we all share. So, Now, you know, we talk a lot about season dates and, you know, early versus late. What about zones? Because when I look at the Kansas zone, it's better than Nebraska. Nebraska's crazy right. uh, with its zones. Um, but obviously, that's a very tactical thing. Um, and I, I'm tracking that the zones are also up for to debate as well, right? Exactly. The zones and their boundaries. So right now, Kansas has, it's a little confusing because it looks like there's four zones. But technically, that western high plains zone is a different mallard management unit. And that mallard management unit is guided by the federal government, and it stretches from Kansas all the way down to the Texas Panhandle and allows for additional days of harvest for mallards um, in that area because there's less hunting pressure and there's a lot of mallards over there. So we'll kind of consider that a unit and not a zone. So then the rest of Kansas is the one, the low plains early zone, yep. then there's a low plains late zone, and then there's a southeast zone. And those kind of go in order of how they open and close each year generally, right? Um, so the early zone, low plains early zone, it opens in mid-October 
and uh, runs into December and then has a split and has a few days in January. And that's essentially Quivira slash. So that's got, actually, Quivira's in the low plains late, but that's got oh, Cheyenne, bottoms, Cheyenne Bottoms. That's got yep. McPherson Valley Wetlands. Right. That's got um, Texas Lake. That's got Jamestown Marshes. So it's a little bit of a gerrymandered zone if you look at it. But it's nice how they've got that set up to encompass most of the publicly accessible shallow marsh habitats in the state of Kansas. And so those are areas that have a really good duck numbers right at the start of the season in October. Mm -hmm. They freeze up usually before the 1st of December. And so it's good to get a lot of hunting days in ahead of that freeze up when there are a lot of ducks there. Now you move out of that into the low plains late zone and you've got a lot more river bottoms, large reservoirs, ag fields. And so those areas tend to get peak bird numbers a little bit later in the season when we start to see freeze up. They start to get concentrated over water and they start dry feeding. Now that being said, on the back ends of all those reservoirs and even along some of those rivers, you still have some of that shallow marsh habitat that's publicly accessible. And so that low plains late zone is one of the more contested zones because you do have a lot of friction between the guys that like hunting out of layout boats in the marshes and the guys that like hunting out of enclosed trailers and field hunting for birds late in the season. Um, and so it's very tough for them to get that and zone. And that's where we're physically at right now. It is. We're, we're in that spot. So. Yep, yep. And so it'll be interesting. When we were in Wichita, we were in the Low Plains late zone as well, and it was a much more, um, I wouldn't say a heated debate, but there was a lot more variance in opinions than there was at Great Bend, which was in the Low Plains early yeah, zone. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what the hunters have to say tonight. And this Low Plains late zone, that's where a lot of guys are really pushing to potentially move that season back. Yeah. Um, and then the southeast zone, it's a more late season oriented. Most of your duck hunting in that area is going to be, you know, your peak bird numbers are going to occur in January. And so they've got it set up to start late and run until the end of the season, um, which is what a lot of hunters like over there. And so there's not been much um, argument that I've personally heard from hunters in that area. It'll be interesting. They've got a meeting in Pittsburgh later this week. It'll be interesting to see what the hunters have to say there. But Now, uh, being the regional... Uh Director, right? regional director? Regional director, director yeah. Of uh, Delta. Why is it important that you're here at these things? So my biggest thing when I come to these meetings is, one, I want to get duck hunters there. So I invite local volunteers. I invite anybody I know in the community to try to come and get their buddies to come to these meetings because I know it's important for the public's voice to be heard in these decisions. Um, Delta Waterfowl is not going to advise or make decisions. We, we put full faith into the state of Kansas to set their own seasons and bag limits and do their job. But... I think it's important for me personally to kind of keep a pulse on what's going on, to hear what different hunters have to say, to network with different duck hunters, and to try to, like I said, try to get as many people to these meetings as we can. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is it pretty difficult going from um, managing in, in Missouri to Kansas? It's, uh, I feel like it's almost um, rich dad, poor dad when it comes to conservation funding between Missouri and Kansas. It is a little bit. Um, you know, so Missouri gets a lot more monetary funding from their state. They have a sales tax that goes towards the Department of Conservation. Kansas doesn't have that luxury. We'd love to see that happen, but I'm not sure if it will. Um, that being said, Missouri is able to really manage their areas down to a T. Uh, but that being said, this year with the floods, we, we've suffered the same type of flooding um, that you guys have out in Kansas. And a lot of our areas are kind of back to square one with blown levees, big mud flat still to this day we're not going to have a ton of food on those areas and at the end of the day there's nothing you can do about that if mother right. nature is going to flood you out she's going to flood you out and yeah. no amount of money is going to stop that uh, missouri river from getting onto your property so um, on a year like this the the playing field is much more level um, in terms of what we're talking about tonight with seasons and bag limits missouri only gets 60 days to work with um, and so you hear a lot, you know, there's a lot of guys that complain about where the date should be. And at those meetings that I attended in Missouri a couple years ago, if we could have given the opportunity to get another 14 days on the season, everybody at those meetings would have been happy. I didn't realize Kansas gets two more weeks. Right. Yeah. Missouri does. So those Missouri, it would have fixed all the qualms at all those meetings if you could have given them two more weeks. And then you come over to Kansas and they've got the same attitude the Missouri hunters did. So I'm convinced if they let us hunt from September 1st to the beginning of March, we'd still be asking for a couple more couple. weeks and can we change it just a little bit? So Our wives would be very, actually we probably wouldn't have wives. Exactly, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, awesome, awesome. Now, hey, where do you, where do you need some help? 
um, as far as your chapters that you, you manage right now? So the biggest thing we need is we need, Delta Waterfowl needs dedicated, passionate waterfowlers within their communities to step up and help us start chapters. Those chapters get to host annual fundraisers and those funds go towards not only Delta's programmatic work of duck production, hunter advocacy, R3, recruitment, retention, and reactivation of hunters, and habitat work up on the breeding grounds. But those chapters also get to keep a portion of their money that they raise locally to spend on whatever they see they need in, Del- in, in their own community that aligns with Delta's mission of producing ducks and securing the future of waterfowl hunting. So right now we've only got one chapter in the state of Kansas, and that's down in Wichita. So we're actually going to jump out of here and run over to B-dubs and have wings and beer with a couple prospective volunteers here in the Manhattan area. But we'd love to get chapters going in Topeka, Lawrence, um, El Dorado, literally any town, Great Bend, any town in the state of Kansas. Um, If you can get a group of guys together that are passionate waterfowl hunters that want to leave a legacy in their community for ducks and duck hunters, please reach out to me, um, hit me up on Facebook, call me, email me, my contact info is at deltawaterfowl.org, um, and I'd be happy to sit down and talk with you about it. Awesome, awesome, yeah. And Delta is great, it's the, it's the Waterfowl Hunters organization, and uh, I'm super excited to head to this meeting with you, and let's go get some wings and have a beer and talk to some, uh, some, some Delta folks, huh? Awesome, yeah, I appreciate right. you having me. All right, thanks, Garrett. Um, I thought that was a really helpful and informative topic. And if you're in the Manhattan, Kansas area, or in Kansas in general, Garrett's looking for a couple dudes to help him out uh, out here. So if you're interested, you can get a hold of him. He's on Facebook, Instagram. You can reach out him on there, um, or you can just find him through the Delta Waterfowl website. All right, next up, I talked to Tom Bedrowski, the Migratory Bird Program Manager here in Kansas right before he gave the actual presentation. Now, Tom is a really smart guy, and as I began talking with him, I started to understand how much the man actually cares about the birds, about habitat, about the programs, the hunters that his program covers. He's a soft-spoken, intelligent man who's extremely well-versed and knowledgeable, but throughout our talk and his presentation, I saw the kindness and the passion that he brings to his position, and I think it's extremely important to highlight that about this meeting. But uh, with no further to, to do, let's get into this conversation, and I'll give you my thoughts on the meeting afterwards. Um, also, I lost a snippet of the beginning portion of this interview because I'm dumb, uh, but here is Tom Bedrowski talking about the process in which your hunting season is built here in Kansas and why we're all gathered here at the K-State Alumni Center to talk about it. Uh polarization and, and what hunters hunt. So we try to satisfy all, all the needs and we're pretty fortunate with our current federal frameworks being in the literal package that we're able to satisfy them. And it would become even more so important if we ever have to restrict back to 39 days, like we had in the late eighties, early nineties. So the next step after this meeting is we'll, we'll have a large mail survey going out to hunters and, and, and as well as internet based survey that will go out and looking at kind of refining what we hear from these meetings. Like, okay, we heard for this zone or that zone, a, a particular tweak they would like to see. We would take that back out to the larger things. We usually find the more passionate people that come to these meetings. And then so, but we want the broad range of all hunters from the casual to, you know, the, the more hardcore hunters that get that. And that's what the social surveys provide from that. We'll, we'll go and draft staff recommendations and we'll present them to the KBDWPT commission, which has the final say on there. And then it also will be, you know, in front of the commission four times. So there's a lot of opportunity for the hunters to provide comment in this period for this. And you have to do this uh, every five years, correct? Well, this is every five years we can we can reexamine them from the federal framework's perspective to change them. So it's something that said it, it's not a mandated thing, but it's something it's a good time to review of where we've been and where we want to go with with harvest regulation in the state. Sure, and this is uh, this is your third out of five or six. So this is number four out of six meetings. We were at Hayes last Monday. Um, fairly small turnout there. Great Bend, a larger turnout. 
Um, and then we were in Wichita last Wednesday. Tonight we'll be in Manhattan, then to down at Pittsburgh in southeast Kansas tomorrow, and then on Wednesday wrapping up in Kansas City. We targeted these areas for a couple of reasons. One, it's the best way to reach the majority of our hunters. So if you looked at our distribution of the hunting community based off of you know, their duck stamp sales, this is where we could target number hunters. And also this is also where we might find maybe some contentious issues, you know, the, kind of all those areas are... Um, you know, there are unique opportunities for them that may be different across the state. Hayes was a little bit more because that kind of represented Western Kansas, Great Bend for those that are hunting Cheyenne Bottoms, Corvair, and some of those areas, Wichita, of course, being with a large population, hunter population there, we wanted to target there with some of the kind of South Central here in the Northeast. And then the Southeast is, you know, it's just kind of been is the new zone and we're still trying to figure things out there from here from the hunters there. Yeah, I, and I suppose a lot of these areas are like kind of fractionalized portions where some some guys want to they want to hunt the the water early, and then some guys want to hunt the fields late, uh, and so you have to hear all that. And I'm sure there's a lot of prep work that goes into uh, these meetings. Yeah, so we have a you know, presentation lasts about 45 minutes, and there's about 50 slides that we go through, and some of them are some data slides. We try to keep them to a minimum, but you know there's two weeks worth of data analyzed just to get a slide that's going to be up there for, for 30 seconds. Sure. So, yeah. But, you know, it's just kind of give an overall brood. They know that, you know, these season dates, they, they do have some data behind them and, and some reasoning. And, and there, it's a hunter preference. So there's there's not a right or wrong. And, you know, it, we're pretty diverse state here in Kansas where we have birds that move through beginning of August and then, you know, don't come here to January. So it also provides a lot of opportunities. You think about we have about 27 different duck species in the state, different life strategies, habitat needs and then you think about the hunters that target them those that like to target early species and some shallow marshes versus those that like to late season hunt on agricultural areas so it is a you know the two extremes and, and we try to satisfy as many hunters we can across the state yeah excellent um and so what you know have you identified any like um you know issues up to this point you said okay hypothesis proven <laughs> already um, yeah you know it, it's with the scoping meetings where we're here to hear ideas and, and boil it down, you know, with a lot of more ardent hunters, they, they like more season dates and then or more vocal hunters. And yeah. you get a lot of guys that will come up and say, I really like things with where they are, you know, don't change anything. So, you know, really hard to see, you know, as of now, any definite patterns. It's not a, a vote or polls. This is a scoping meeting at the beginning meeting, you know, telling them that we're not reaching any agreements tonight. We're here to hear from you, the sure. hunters, because the hunter, the seasons are set for you guys. So it's, it's more important to. It's kind of telling you which uh, road to start kind of looking down. Exactly. Like, okay, hey, we got yeah. a lot of, mm-hmm. got a lot of people talking about this or that. Yeah. And you know, one thing, with our surveys we're seeing response rate to go down so we're trying to make our you know the surveys that'll be going out to the larger hunting community this fall trying to target them to make them more focused no easier to take and, yeah. and get better results from them and better responses what do you need from kansas hunters so and, and, and one of the things that's kind of a little bit of pet peeve of mine is you know that the, the since these are season dates and preference things that, that the hunter has a large impact on them, you know, you know, they might think, well, we, the game department has their mind made up before they even come to meeting. And that's definitely not true. We, we want to hear from the hunters and we're going to follow the data of not only what the birds and harvest is, but, you know, what, what they're telling us on our surveys and, and through these public meetings. So, you know, there's a lot of opportunity to provide input. You know, they, I'm always love hearing from hunters and hearing what their reports from the field. So I'm always, my email and phone lines always open to them. You know, we have six of these six meetings, so there'll be four commission meetings. But uh, one of the things that hunters kind of miss overlook is uh, participating in these surveys. You know, not only when they get the mail, you know, a little less than one, we get about 12% response rate. That means nine out of 10 surveys are going unanswered. These are the sportsman dollars that we're having to spend in order to get, you know, the response rates we need or number of surveys. As well as things like they might not even think of things like participation in, in like high sportsmen. You know, we're looking at some of that data for harvest or some of the federal surveys like the parts collection survey. So their participation in, in those things are, are pretty critical. Excellent. So at the, you know, when you, you know, you're finished with your rounds here uh, and you go back to the office and you're going to talk with your team and, uh, you know, what are what are some of the What's the next thing? What's the next step? So the, the next, very next step is, you know, we'll, we'll do a short survey tonight, and that's kind of to guide me some of the some of the direction we might hear from, you know, what are the looking at first? What are things that we patterns we see among our? We have a what we call the migratory game bird committee within the agency mm-hmm. that will look at these, and so like, all right, what 
particular changes can we make? All right, say they in the late zone, they want a little corner carved out there. So, well, is that a valid? And let's look at the other data. Okay, that's, you know, might be a, an option. So we'll refine that for the survey. So we give the hunters back a specific change so they know which direction we have that it's that. Um, one of the things we'll ask is, you know, how satisfied they are with it. And then kind of the season dates, because they're so tied with duck zones where they are, we'll like, you know, kind of limit down. What are some underlying factors that they want to see those season dates? What are the, you know, the true motivations? Well, like, you know, do I want to go out there when the most ducks are there? I want to go out there when I know it's not going to be frozen or vacation holidays or, you know, or, you know, I like to see repetition from year to year. So those are the kind of things we'd look at as some of those large motivations. You know, then we'll, we'll ask some other little things like, you know, the goose bag limit is a, from six to eight, it's more of a social than a biological issue. And so we'll, you know, we went off of last time of the survey data for that. And that's probably what we'll do from what the survey tells us again in the upcoming year. Awesome. Uh, well, what do you, you know, before we head into this meeting, um, and I'm going to take some notes and mm-hmm. I'm going to talk to some people afterwards, uh, you know, kind of what, what's, uh, what are some of your, you know, finalizing comments here that you want people to walk away from? from these sure. Meetings? The season dates are set for you, the hunters. So it's important that, that we hear your opinion on, on that. Um, we know there's not a right or wrong answer for, for what people tell us because that's their personal preference, what they'd like to see. And then them to also consider the hunting community as a whole, that we are a diverse group and, and that there, you know, there's going to be concessions on, on both ends of where we end up. Yeah. And, but we're working for, you know, the, the entire hunting community in, in general. Yeah, you're not the bad guy. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, for sure. For sure. Well, I appreciate this, and I'm um, looking very much forward to hearing what you guys got in there. And then uh, uh, we'll, I guess we'll see the listeners after after the, the public commentary. All right. So, have a great season. Yes, thank you. All right, that was Tom Bedrowski. And as I exited uh, that interview, I entered the room after talking with Tom, and I took my seat at the back uh, of the small but packed room. I counted about 55 people there. And some people were even leaning in from the hallway. There were scientists, conservation organization personnel, law enforcement agents, farmers, game wardens, college kids, business owners. Uh, We had weekend hunters there. We had guides there. Kids, men, women, all in business business casual, cutoffs, flip-flops, boots. I even saw a couple college kids with some mullets. Uh, And then there was crew cuts. Everyone there uh everyone was present and it was awesome so several notes about the meeting we talked a lot we talked about a lot of things and uh, very many of the people in attendance had some sort of either craw in their neck or a pain in their own you know personal butt but they wanted an answer on it and even more than that a lot of them really did uh, bring it up in a respectful note but like many have said uh, we were we really are bad as hunters and just assuming that what we experience in the season is the truth for everyone. And it's really just a small sliver or cut of the whole truth. That doesn't make our opinions any less valid. Um, the slideshow that they presented and talked about, which started with a history of hunting in Kansas was about 50 slides long, I believe. And, uh, each one got about 30 seconds to a minute on each slide. Um, when, and what's funny is is that, you know, after talking to Tom and then subsequently Richard, um, each one of those slides takes about two weeks to build and collect the data and do the analysis to present it. And we just get, you know, the 30 second to one minute. And so there's a lot of information uh, the, and analysis that goes into that, uh, the presentation of the information. So I just had this overwhelming sort of frustration whenever someone would speak up in a manner that I thought was aggressive or or subjective, and I just watched uh, Tom and Rich's face, uh, and he would—they would just acknowledge uh, very respectfully, and then answer in a thoughtful, educational, and understanding manner. That's why they're there. They want to hear from us as hunters, um, even though we might not be <laughs> the most well-versed or, or spoken about these things. It's why they're doing this. One trend that I saw is that many hunters pushed for certain changes that would make regulations or zones a bit more complicated because it would maximize the hunting opportunity and experience um, that they saw that there was a deficit in. But then it's brought out, hey, waterfowl regulations are already super complicated and it really hurts recruitment and access when we complicate them even more. So just got to remember there's kind of a, there's a budget 
of complexity there as well, uh, it, which is a certain factor that I don't think a lot of us think about. You know, we say, hey, I wish we had this, 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 and that. And we, well, how does that get turned into actual regulation? And if someone new is stepping up on this, okay, why? Okay, I can hunt this county for this portion of the time, but I can't hunt that county. can really hurt, I think, recruitment and retention when we get too complex. All right, so if you want to help yourself out and other hunters and our way of life out, fill out your surveys um, is, is what I got out of this. So nine out of 10 of these things goes unanswered. And they need the data to help them do their jobs effectively for you. Plus, it costs money to put these things out. And if you ignore a survey or you don't volunteer or you don't use your eye sportsman, you're wasting money. Uh, that could be used on more or better research or habitat development, whatever. Um, so fill out your eye sportsman, your hunter information program data, and uh, the hunter preference surveys. Just show up to all these meetings. Don't be a part of the silent majority. So... Another point that I wanted to get back to, there's always that guy in these meetings. And he was present, of course, as he is throughout the country, I'm certain. Uh, Listen, we accept our own experiences as truth, and we validate those experiences because we're partial to them. We might talk about this or that for five or ten minutes a week, or we think about it over a cup of coffee, or we uh, lament over it uh, after a bad hunt or some sort of negative experience. The guys presenting this information live with the data and they take the time to understand the raw information out there that we are providing them with and uh, doing some serious digging into it. The most rambunctious or almost combative questions, of course, came from a guy, and I was actually surprised, an older guy wearing a flat bill hat and I think ran a guide service. I don't know. It took a lot for me to not say more on this, um, but everyone there just kind of nodded in, in understandment. Um, and they did their best to explain the possibility or impossibility of the proposals uh, that this person um, or these people uh, brought up. And I really gained a lot of respect um, for Tom and Rich, his partner uh, there at the, um, the Migratory Bird Program, and uh, waterfowl biologist Rich Schultes, uh, who helped field the questions during the presentation. Now, before we get into my interview with Rich, I just want to cover a couple more of my interpretations or reactions to some of the themes and or topics brought up during the meeting. There was a lot of talk about wood ducks being able to be harvested during teal season, and I've learned that if we were to do that, it would actually count towards the total amount of days uh, that we're consuming for our big duck um, days at the end of the season. So um, if there's something that needs to be changed. It's at a federal framework level and that's quite difficult to do. So just understand that when you begin developing how you think or you feel about that or when you're approaching um, somebody uh, about that. So yeah, I I still think it's a a valid thing that maybe we need to do uh, personally. Um, But as far as retention and recruitment goes, but that's uh, that's not on me. You tell me how you feel about it. Uh, Another thing that was extremely interesting for me um, and I hadn't really thought about it too much, but how do we give birds refuge, you know, so that we don't just push them down the flyway as fast as possible? They really shine some light on it for me in a way that I hadn't thought about it before in that we can give up refuge uh, to, or we give refuge to these birds in several manners. And one of those is refuge in time, which is like splits or not being able to hunt after a certain time or on certain days, etc. And then the other one is refuge in space or places that are completely uh, unhuntable to give the birds a safe place where they're not being shot at, which will keep them around uh, and and help them do a little bit better down the flyway. So how we do that directly ties to access. So as you begin to develop your opinions on how you feel about uh, access and refuge, just uh, weigh the costs. It's a Is it better to say that we can't hunt somewhere? Um, or that we can't hunt at some time. It will be different for everyone because some people work nights. Some people do this thing. Some people live really far away from uh, public habitat, but they have the refuge that's right there. Um, We have to balance refuge with opportunity, which is critical for recruitment and retention because we we can't have duck hunters without ducks, and we can't have ducks without duck hunters. So that's kind of an interesting thing I thought. Another position that I thought was 
I thought it was worth mentioning. Came from a person in the audience that was uh, essentially this. The people who are not here do not matter. We are the ones who care enough to come here, voice our opinions, and to help shape the season and what's best for hunters and for ducks. I don't remember the exact response, but in my own feelings, uh, you know that I talk about the bell curve a lot when it comes to hunters. On the left, we have the people who do, and I'm not not politically left, uh, on the left, we have people who don't hunt and hate it. And on the right, we have people uh, like you and me who are diehards and super committed uh, both sides of that bell curve are relatively a small percentage of the population. And the feelings and thoughts of that large majority of people in the middle are crucial. And honestly, they hold the most power. A guy or gal that goes out just once or twice a season, is probably, uh, which is very common, is probably you know shifted a little bit to the right on that bell curve. But there's a ton of them. Um, those limited experiences can shape some serious change either good or bad, depending on the situation uh, that we're talking about. The sheer number of those hunters out there that don't go out all that often, is uh, it's large. They are just as important, if not more important, than us diehards. And we need to be super conscientious of them and present ourselves in such a manner as to help recruit, promote, and then have them maximize their couple of times out that they go each year because we need them on our team and we need them to be having fun and spending more money on ducks. Um, we really do. Whether you believe that to be true or not, uh, that's on you. All right, so now we're going to hear from uh, Rich Schulteis, a waterfowl biologist, on what he needs from the hunters to make all this work. Okay, I'm talking to uh, Rich Schulteis from Kansas Department of Wildlife, Parks, and Tourism. Uh, Rich, you're a wildlife biologist, correct? Yep, right? that's right. Um, one of the things that you brought up during the meeting that I thought was uh, particularly resonating was the fact that people aren't uh, fully utilizing iSportsman. Um, sometimes hip numbers can be a little construed or, or not useful data. Um, and then that you're not getting participation in your questionnaires, and that leads to increased spending. Yep. Um, to get the actual data that you need. Yeah, so we need you know an adequate sample size for whenever whatever the information we're looking for. And the example I'll use is uh, we do harvest surveys for most of the, the majority of species that we're harvesting. You know, there's a deer survey and upland game survey. And for, for this scenario, for ducks and geese, most of that work is done by the Fish and Wildlife Service. But we're putting together a survey right now looking at season dates, zone boundaries, and those kind of things. So when we send that survey out, generally we'll do it via email through the Postal Service. We'll send notes out, all these types of things. When, when, when folks get that survey and they don't participate and they don't provide us with that information, what that means is we have to survey more and more people. So the more people we have to send that out to, the more money it costs. And so really what it means is, and we have specific objectives we need for the amount of people that provide that input so that we get um, the, the correct information that represent the population. So the less participation we get, the more money it costs. And that money comes from sportsmen, you know, through licenses and, you know, PR funds, through gun purchases, all those types of things. But participation, as participation goes down, it costs more for us to do business, to get the information we need to make decisions. And that's true for us. That's true for the Fish and Wildlife Service. Um, for HIP, when you get the harvest survey through HIP, when you get the parts collection survey. And, and even to some extent, it's not as much an expense thing, but having the best information available for iSportsmen. So for our specific wildlife areas, um, in places we're collecting that information, we use that information when we're making decisions and making recommendations like we're talking about today with zones and seasons and things like that. And so participation is not only essential for that process, but it also... Uh, it costs money. Pretty much, it costs us money when, when that starts to decline, and that's that's been occurring over time. Right, right. Yeah, I think the biggest thing, uh, kind of one of the interesting things, is, is when you I'm about to walk into Milford and I go, yeah. oh, dang it, yep. I got to log in on my my iSportsman. Yeah. And you know, thinking of that as being a uh, kind of a nuisance, almost. yeah, a barrier. Um, yeah, a barrier. Thing. Sure. Of entry. But then, yeah. you know, when you come into this meeting, yeah. and people start talking and say, well, why don't we have Where's your data point on this? That's right. That? Yeah. And then you look at the face of the guy that's like, well, yeah. man, fill out your eye sportsman. And yeah. you think to yourself, ah, yeah. okay. There's some value to that. And, and, yeah. and 
you know, understandably, like, you know, anytime there's any kind of additional step or implement to, to go hunting, that's not ideal. But there are times, and I think the motto they have for is you can't, you can't, measure or you don't monitor or something along those lines and so pretty much if we don't have that data when it's time to make the decision what are we going to do so um that's why the, the thing is in place you know to try and get an idea of what's going on in the landscape and so recognizing it can be difficult we try and make it as simple as possible and as straightforward as possible but it's still going to always be somewhat of a step to get some of that information and we're just trying to make it as easy as possible but still get what we need to do our jobs so that we can make it as a you know ideal scenario management as possible yeah and the last thing i just want to leave you with is is um you guys spend you know five days a week sometimes seven days a week Mm -hmm. out of the year um with the data working on this thinking about this kind of stuff and whereas we might only be thinking about it at the barber shop or you know the coffee shop or 7-eleven uh after a hunt and you know delivering things and i thought that you guys did a really good job at uh bridging the the gap of being, you know, you hold all this data and this knowledge. Um, and then, you know, but we're very passionate about uh, some of these things. And I thought you guys did a really good job at answering questions. Um, and I just, is that something that is, uh, you know, pretty difficult for you guys? Um, not really. I think, so both Tom and I have been doing this for a little while now. And so we both had an extensive education trying to work on the analysis and how to do these types of things and how to present the data and, you know, to, to, to make it the most useful. And so we're also extremely avid waterfall hunters. So to be honest, I could talk about this all day with anyone because it's what I like to do even when I'm not at work. So that's part of it as well. But, you know, I think partially it's just kind of the training to do the analysis and those kind of things. And partially it's just what we're passionate about as well. And we recognize the importance of it um, for this process. So, you know, you can treat these public meetings a lot of different ways. And is it just an open discussion or, you know, question and answer or specific just a presentation? And I think the, 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 the avenue Tom has chosen, and I completely support, is that we try and summarize, look, here's what we know. Here's what we try and use to inform the decision. And then tell us what you think. What are we missing? What do we need to be considering? Those kind of things. So we kind of make that data available. And one thing I want to point out is everything we've, we've summarized here, and I think even more, is available somewhere on our website. And so we have annual s- summaries that have our you know, biweekly survey, harvest, all those kind of things. And so there's a lot of... Um, these resources are available. You just have to do a little bit of digging on our website. And, and Tom's information, which I'm sure you'll have for the show, he can put you in touch with that data and that information if you need. What do you need from Kansas Hunters and Outdoorsmen? Fill out your surveys, you know, um, try and help us out when you get that information. That'd be really helpful. But other than that, um, just get out there, recruit hunters as you can, and, and get out there and enjoy the resource we have. So, Thanks, Rich. Absolutely. No problem. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in on this slightly different format. I just thought it was really important to get this out there and that uh, we will get back to our regular programming that you're a little bit more used to next week and we will be adding some scouting reports into this Friday podcast review show. So we're going to see you Friday and to leave you here, I want to give you, uh, well, I want to give a local game warden your ear for just a minute. He's doing, he's doing the right things. Um, He's, I'm giving him a space where he can reach some people on this platform. So please tune in um, for the next 10 minutes or five minutes of this conversation. And thank you for listening. And I will see you next week. Or actually, I'll see you Friday. All right. Here's a local game warden who is trying to create some more access, opportunity, and recruitment. I'm here at the Kansas Department of Wildlife, Parks, and Tourism information meeting. And I'm talking to Ben Jedlika, game warden. And he has a little opportunity that he wanted to uh, talk about. So. Well, I've got several. We've For 18 years, we've conducted an assisted deer hunt. Now, this is limited to youth, and youth are under 16 and uh, or disabled. And it can be youth or dis- uh, somebody with disabilities. And we moved this hunt from September. We just, uh, the heat was too much. And now the hunt is conducted during the uh pre-rut let's call it doe season and that's october uh, 12th and 13th we need applications in by the fifth uh, 25th of august and we take applications from youth or disabled we prefer a little older youth uh, and we prioritize those uh, applications much by age if they're 
coming up on 16, they won't have another opportunity to participate in the program. They kind of move to the top of the list. Uh, but we're looking for hunters. Last year we had 18 uh, hunters, and we dropped 11 deer, and we've got plenty of deer. So that's, now, who that's, are these? Who are these kids and these youths and the disabled? Who are they hunting with? Well, we've got guides and we've got places. In order to keep this program going, right now we need hunters by the 25th of August. It takes hunters, it takes guides, and it takes places to hunt. So we get some churn in. Of course, we, after a hunter's successful, they're not back the next year, so we need new hunters. We have guides that somewhat churn in and out of the program, and we have places that somewhat churn in and out of the program. But we provide everything, uh, and we have two days of hunting. It'll be Saturday morning and e- afternoon or morning and evening, and Sunday morning and evening. And the processing is included by donating lockers. So. Awesome. And this is all just around the Manhattan area. Yeah, Tuttle we're kind of call it the Tuttle Creek area. Yeah. Uh, assisted deer hunt. Not to not to say that title. maybe somebody from. Uh, oh, we've had people from Wichita, from uh, Desoto, Lawrence. Uh, yeah, there's people that have come in from a long, long way off. To, okay. uh, to, so hunters, guides, and uh, landowners. Spots. And yeah, spots, landowners, yeah. and and we sure appreciate those landowners that are gracious enough to allow us to use their property for a couple days. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, so where do they want to go if they want to participate? Oh, uh, Tuttle Creek uh, Corps of Engineers and Kansas Wildlife Parks and Tourism team up on this, and we have for many, many years. But uh, I would send you to the Corps of Engineers site at Tuttle Creek, uh, the, the website, Tuttle Creek Corps of Engineers project site. And email or uh, you you may get an application by email, and we're trying to get that posted to on the website. Awesome. Okay. Well, sounds good. Um, anything else that you want to uh, talk well, about before we start this? Uh, well, this past uh, June we had opening day of squirrel hunting. Squirrel season was June first. It happened to be a Saturday, and we kind of put together a squirrel hunt. Now the mosquitoes were fresh, the ticks yeah. were fresh, but we did come uh, bring up bring in some squirrels, and we do this. Uh, this is open to anyone who'd like to participate. We. Uh, have some target shooting at Fancy Creek Range. They go out and chase some squirrels for a while. They bring what they get back. We feed them lunch. Lunch is ready when they get back. And uh, we skin some squirrels. We roast them for dessert. Awesome. Where can you get signed up for that? Uh, Tuttle Creek State Park office. Okay. Sounds good. Well, thanks. And I hope to see you out in the field. Um, I'm sure it'll be a positive interaction. Oh, I don't know why it wouldn't. Yeah, exactly. Right? So. <laughs> Fancy Creek Range also has a Women on Target program, and that's uh, September 14th. They need to sign up. That's for women only, and they need to sign up ahead of time for that. Uh, but that's a that's been going on for years, too. It's a real good program at the range. Again, it's Saturday, September 14th, and they need to pre-register, and there's a cost to it, but it's reasonable. Awesome. Well, thank you, uh, Game Warden Jalika. Thank uh, you. Yeah, appreciate it. Hey, you ever been sitting in front of your TV just wondering why you can't catch the latest episode of The Foul Front right there in your living room so you can press all your guests and family with your fine taste and podcast listening? Me neither. But hey, as a part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective, you can now find The Foul Front and some other great podcasts on your Apple TV, your Roku, your Amazon Fire Stick, Smart TV, even your gaming console just by downloading the Waypoint app. And heck, while you're there, they got over 2,500 hunting and fishing shows on demand. Go download the Waypoint app today. Go out there and the fish are where you think they are. Any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6'8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.